Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Wild Voices Project podcast with me, Matt Williams. And this is the podcast where we bring you the stories of the people saving nature in all sorts of incredible ways. I try to bring you inspiring stories, useful tips and conversations about the current conservation and environmental issues of the day. And in this episode, I'm speaking to Ashley Bell. At Ash Michael Bell on Twitter is an actress and director of a new film about the plight of the Asian elephant. In this conversation, we discuss the little-known story of the threats to Asian elephants, whose numbers are in fact far fewer than those of the better-known African elephant. Ashley also talks about the process of producing the film and working with renowned Asian conservationist Lek Chilert. And she explains what lessons and techniques she took from her work in the horror movie industry into producing an environmental documentary. Ashley Bell is, as I've said, a film, television and theatre actress. And she won an Independent Spirit Award nomination for Best Actress for her role in The Last Exorcism, as well as an MTV Movie Award nomination. Ashley wrote, directed and produced the feature-length documentary Love and Bananas, An Elephant Story, which you can find at loveandbananas.com or at loveandbananas on Twitter. And she's also a US ambassador for Cruelty Free International. And for US audiences, the film is already screening around the country. And for UK and European audiences, I know that Ashley and her team are looking at ways to distribute the film hopefully later this this year, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Or you might be able to stream it or download it from one of the many movie and film streaming services that are, that are available out there. The Wild Voices Project podcast tells the stories of people like Ashley who are saving nature in all sorts of ways. And we're part of Wild Voices Media, a global production team bridging emerging storytellers with aspiring conservationists. You can find out more about the podcast at wildvoicesproject.org and you can learn more about the global community at wild-voices.org And don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast using iTunes or Stitcher and if you've got the time to leave us a rating or a review then I'd be really grateful. But without further ado, let's dive into this incredible episode. get cracking so Ashley thank you very much for um, being on the Wild Voices Project podcast um, I want to start where I often start with people by asking where your passion or interest in uh, in just the environment or wildlife in general came from in the first place well first of all thank you so much for having me um, really I, I so appreciate your interest in in this project and also for raising awareness about Asian elephants uh, you know, I was actually born and raised a vegetarian uh, and always born and raised being very aware of cruelty-free makeups and also household goods and just the cruelty-free universe. So my parents instilled that in me in an, in an early age. Um, I was that kid with the meat is murder shirt and stickers playing with endangered species trading cards during recess. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> Nerd alert. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, you, you go on about, about your life and, and I'm, I'm primarily an actress and in, in my, mm. in my field, it's, there's a tendency to, where you can get very, very self-involved or anybody just gets caught up in the work of things. Um, but I'd always been connected, um, to the environment and, and to the plight of animals. Uh, I grew up with rescue dogs and cats always, but a very close family friend, David Castleman, um, he actually got 1 million acres of land in Cambodia that he, uh, was was using to found the Cambodia Wildlife Sanctuary. And he got this from the government and had the agreement signed over on national television in perpetuity. And for 10 years, he'd been looking to bring elephants to that sanctuary. And he it took so long because there are so few Asian elephants left. And he partnered with Lech Tyler, world-renowned Asian elephant conservationist, to do this. And I remember it clear as day. It was it was December. I was at my parents' house. It was around the holidays, and I got this email that said, "After ten years, we found the first two elephants that we're going to rescue from an illegal logging camp and release onto the Cambodia Wildlife Sanctuary. Anybody that wants to come and see it is more than welcome to come." Mm-hmm. And it hit me, and I said, "I've this is a short film. This is a happily ever after story. I've got to. This just has to be filmed. Period." And I pitched it to a phenomenal production company called Change for Balance Productions that both do commercial work and and do documentaries towards serving the greater good and how impact can be, how film can be used to make great change. Um, and before we knew it, we were in Cambodia. And, and, and so, so, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but had, had, no, no, had no, no, making no. your own film been, been something you'd been wanting to do for a while? Or was that kind of an idea that just struck you out of the blue and you were just so moved by this? by what he told you he was going to do, you you just sort of suddenly said to yourself, well, this I've got to make a film about this. I'd always, I'd always wanted to direct. Uh, I'd always, I, I, you know, as a lot of actresses say, but I, I'd studied it at Cambridge and NYU. I just, I just always thought I would direct way, way later when I could, and it would be a narrative, you know what I mean? When yeah. I could fully catch and support my cast and take care of everybody the way I, you know, in, in a narrative scape. Um, I had no idea it would come at that point and I had no idea that it would be a documentary, but the, the idea of the, the idea of directing was always interested in me, uh, always interested me. Um, and I had studied it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because also as, as an actress, it's, I always say like, the hard work is in between jobs when it's vacation, things get, things get fun when you're actually on the job because you're privy to a world of, of experts working at, at the, the peak of their craft, you know, in between takes or when you're not working, you have the ability to go and ask everybody, you know, how that's done and how and why they made that choice respectfully, obviously, and, and not to get in anybody's way. But, Mm. um, I would always do that on sets because it's a great time to talk and learn and and just open your eyes and keep your ears open and understand what's happening and why it's happening. Um, so I I'd been doing that. Um, I've been I worked I kind of started working as soon as I graduated um, college at NYU and uh, I don't know it it was you know it, it was the it was the story that hit me. 
it was kind of this vocation to, to tell this story when I heard about these elephants, but I thought it would be a happily ever after story. And, and here's, here's where the, the naivete begins because it certainly, it certainly was not. Um, here's, here's where the splash of cold water in the face begins. Um, yeah. so we went, yeah, so we went to Cambodia and the forest was being illegally logged and poached. And the elephants were in horrendous condition from years of abscesses, uh, years of abuse, physically and mentally. They were covered in abscesses and scars. Uh, I remember stepping off the plane and asking, what was that smell? Because it, it smelled like smoke. And David Castleman said, it's, it's the forest. It's, it's on fire. And at that time, there was 70, 70% of the, of the forest had been illegally logged um, with slash and burn logging. I'd never seen deforestation firsthand and what a clear cut forest looks like. And it's, it, it's, uh, it changes you. You, mm. you it's, it's, the land is scarred. We took a helicopter up to, to see how, the effects of the logging on the land. And yeah, I mean, we, we I've, flew smoke. It's, I've it's seen them. I've seen them at ground level. Hand. I've seen them at ground level yeah. in Indonesia and it's, it's mm -hmm. on a completely different scale to anything that I've ever seen here in here in the UK. You know, we have a little bit of logging for commercial forestry, that sort of thing. But the scale yeah. of a clear cut forest in in a country in Southeast Asia like Cambodia or like Indonesia is just on a whole different level. Um, so it's horrifically so, breathtaking. It yeah. literally rob it's it sucker punches you. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're out in Cambodia, and the, there were the forest fires, which was which which explained the smell that you you encountered yes. when you got off got off your flight. I, I wondered if we could zoom out a little bit and maybe just sure. give a little bit of the context. So what you've explained a little bit what what's happening to Asian elephants in many Southeast Asian countries, but could you just maybe um, flesh out a little bit what the threats are to this species and what their conservation status is now because of some of those threats? Absolutely. Um, well, there are, there are, I think now, 450,000 African elephants left in the world, but only around 40,000 Asian elephants. Mm. Uh, Asia, Asian elephants are the endangered of, of the two species. And I asked Lek Tyler when she was in town a couple of weeks ago, why the disparity between the numbers? And Lek explained it's because Asian elephants are used for every business in Southeast Asia. You can't get a tractor deep into the jungle, so Asian elephants have, are being used for logging. Even though logging has been banned places, they're still being used for logging. Um, in addition, they're used for entertainment. So in a lot of countries that have banned logging, you have quote-unquote unemployed elephants. For instance, in Myanmar, you have 6,000, New York Times reported 6,000 unemployed elephants, making it, quote unquote, the largest elephant unemployment crisis. Um, but those elephants are now being shipped off for other forms of work. So in entertainment, you have elephants doing trekking, which is elephant rides. You also have elephants being used for uh, circuses and zoos and elephant painting. For medicinal purposes, elephants are being killed and their body parts are being sold for medicine and superstitious medicine. Um, their body parts are also being used for, we have a scene in the film where it's just kind of a body part scene and Derek, uh, who's one of the main coordinators at all of the 
all of Lex's sanctuary and actually Lex's husband just points to an elephant and lists off how much each body part is worth from skin to eyelashes to the tip of the tail, the trunk. Um, it's all sold on the black park market and elephant skin is actually being, there's actually a boom in the, in the, uh, selling of that, which mm-hmm. is, and it's actually grown since we've done the film, which is horrific to, to read and, and witness. Um, uh, and, and then the biggest, the, the biggest threat is the human elephant conflict, which is that, you know, as, as a lot of people are aware, elephants travel long, long distances. Their, their bodies are built to move and migrate. They only sleep about four hours a night and they, they migrate, carving a path through the jungle, providing tons of, you know, homes and food for other animals by shaking off, by breaking branches and shaking off seeds and et cetera, um, and also eating. Uh, but as they move, um, now because of cities and agriculture and industry and also deforestation, there's no place for them to go anymore. That's wild. So they'll run into cities or they'll end up, end up on, on a farm. And, you know, for that farmer, it's a year of work but for that elephant, it's, it's, it's a half an hour of lunch, you know? Um, so elephants are considered pests and nuisances. Um, it just breaks your heart because this is an endangered species. Um, in Africa, there isn't that compact of an area, uh, for there to be that rigorous human elephant conflict. And the African crisis focuses a lot more on ivory. Um, uh, but yeah, this is this is more of the the Asian elephant crisis. Yeah. So there's these and, multi- and and oddly enough, the Asian elephant is the elephant we're most familiar with because they're the elephant we see in zoos and circuses, and they're the elephant that that's ridden for trekking. Right. Uh, so when we when we yeah. think of elephants, very often we think of the ones that are familiar to us through our culture, but actually we know very little about the these multiple pressures that you've just described. And actually, it's really interesting you bring yeah. up the human elephant conflict. I. I just happened across an article a couple of hours ago describing how a lot of the Rohingya Muslim refugees from Myanmar who have now ended up in Bangladesh because they're being crammed into much smaller spaces are also ending up in conflict with the Asian elephants, which are also being crammed into much smaller spaces because of deforestation. So there's there's huge, huge problems starting to come about because of that right now. But... um, I, I kind of cut you off in your flow, sorry. So you, you were describing how you, you went out to Cambodia thinking you were going to tell one story and then and then you've ended up telling a different story which has turned into this amazing film, Love and Bananas, an elephant story. So maybe, maybe sorry, I'll let you carry on with, with describing kind of what the story was that you ended up telling. Oh, um, thanks. Yeah, I, um, so when we, got, when we got to Cambodia, it was... It was a grim scene uh, because of this deforestation and because these elephants were were fresh off of a rescue of, of just years of abuse. They'd gone through no rehabilitation. But through it, I met Lech Chyler, uh, the conservationist that we follow in the film, who who is, God, she, she'd been at, at that point a, a hero of mine for about 10 years. And I was totally tongue-tied to meet her. Um, and, and through this all, Lek was sitting on the floor, stuffing, deworming pills into bananas and putting them in a huge pile as this one gray elephant trunk, just very, 
daintily grabbed a banana and popped it into her mouth. Um, <laughs> and, and I saw like, like has used media her whole life to, to document everything, both joyous occasions and when she gets in danger for proof. And I'd seen on Lex's iPad what it took to get those elephants to that sanctuary. And it was the most harrowing, raw, electric, hopeful, uh, triumphant footage I'd ever seen. And I, I, I was like, nobody's, Jesus, nobody's seen anything like this. This is, this is the story. This is what's, this is what's demanding to be told. And I asked Lex if myself and my crew could accompany her on an elephant rescue. And she said, if, if you can hang, you can come. I was like, well, I'll figure, I'll figure out how to hang. But as in, as in hang on the back of an elephant or like, Oh, like hang on the back of a truck and like language, but like not lose your shit. Um, (laughs) If you can be cool, you're allowed to come. I was like, figure out how to keep, to be cool, but I'm coming. Um, which has just been the bane of my existence for my entire life. Um, no. And, um, and yeah, and that, that began, that began the, this whole five year journey of, of love and bananas. So, um, I, I haven't seen the film myself, um, that I, it, it's currently screening in the U S I'm based in the UK, but we'll, we'll come on to that a bit later. But one, one of the main questions that I have is when you talk about rescuing these elephants from, from the situations that they're yeah. in and taking them into a, into a sanctuary situation when you mm-hmm. use the word rescue are you talking about intervening and kind of buying the existing owner out of the elephant or how, or is it covert how, how does that work like i suppose it's pretty difficult to covertly rescue an elephant but <laughs> <laughs> but what does rescue mean in this sense yes it is it is buying the owner out of an elephant um there there is um there is no con- co- covert situation in this because with Leck, what she does is so, so, so Leck, there's about 200 elephants on this waiting list that Leck has her eye on, um, across Southeast Asia of elephants that need to be rescued, um, or need to be liberated. Uh, and either Leck will go on herself or sometimes Leck is too high profile and, and people won't want to sell to her. So a member of her team will go in and she learns about these elephants from members of her team and from, from people touring throughout Southeast Asia as tourists who are like, Oh my God, I saw this elephant lek. You need to get it out. And they'll start, they'll start the conversation with the camp or the facility that this elephant is in. Um, lek will often go for the oldest, weakest, sickest elephant, uh, to rescue. And a lot of people say, well, why, you know, a lot of, People surprisingly say, why does that matter? Mm-hmm. What if they just die? And she said, I, I would want them to die in dignity yeah. back on the sanctuary. And, um, you know, a lot of times when she does buy out these elephants, which is why sometimes she can't be present, is people see her and they, they go, all right, they jack up the price. And she can't negotiate right. for that because that's going to give them the ability to turn around and buy more elephants if they can find them. Um, but oftentimes an elephant is, is owned by several people. So when an elephant is bought out, it stops the chain. It, it ends it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And from, from the experience you had out there, what, what were some of the reactions of the people you were 
you were buying these elephants from were they you know what was what was their reaction to the idea of them were they aware that they were being bought out to go into a sanctuary setting that they were being rescued or did they think they were just being bought by someone to go onto a to another use what was their their understanding of what was happening oh for sure um they all they all generally pretty much know that these are elephants being taken to a sanctuary. Um, but we, in the film, we focus on one elephant. Uh, we, we waited for an elephant rescue actually for two and a half years with some false starts. There were two false starts where an elephant looked like it was going to be available for rescue. And then it was sold off to a circus and career sold off to another trekking camp. Um, but we focus our story on one elephant, an elephant named Noi Na, who's a seven-year-old, partially blind, uh, trekking elephant. Um, and uh, when we got there, um, we talked to the trekking camp owner, and he was in- incredibly reluctant to talk. His body language was reserved, stiff. We had cameras. He was nervous. He was very nervous to talk. Um, but like, like convinced him to, to do an interview. Um, and you know, we were actually talking to people yesterday and, and, and it's, it's very apparent. He feels the camera on him. You know, it's, um, there's no faking that, that body language, but Leck had actually been working on this trekking camp owner for three years to get him to take his elephants on, or, or some of his elephants on a jungle walk without chains. And this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but not that much because when you see the film like even if I tell it as I've heard Leck tell stories I'm like that's not true and then I see Leck Leck work miracles um truly but so so Leck had been working on this trekking camp owner to take his elephants on a walk without chains and we didn't know any of this before going in we thought we would be going in to rescue this 70 year old blind Asian elephant and that would be it but there were 30 elephants that Leck was going to have to leave behind at the camp which she just was going to do everything she could to not um, on that day. So Mr. Chayapong, the trekking camp owner, agrees in the film to take his elephants on a walk without chains. And literally from the trekking camp environment where these elephants are chained, exhibiting severe stereotypic behavior and zoocotic behavior, rocking back and forth, bobbing their heads, the babies are going crazy, to 20 minutes later, Lek and Mr. Chayapong have taken five elephants without chains on a jungle walk. These elephants are walking, you know, haltingly at first, but then they start picking up the pace. They're eating, they're flapping their ears, they're rubbing up against trees. It culminates in this huge mud pit, um, this mud bath, with Mr. Chayapong literally singing to his elephants and in shock. We, we, when we got it translated, Mr. Chayapong referred to the elephants as his kids. He uses the word, I didn't know my kids could do this. Um, and actually, he, he promised to turn his trekking camp to take his elephants for walks without chains every day. And a month after we filmed, he actually turned his trekking camp into a humane sanctuary. And that's what Lek is working on now, is to get these camps to turn their trekking camp into a humane model where you take the saddle off their back to ride, you take the chains off their feet, and people can be with elephants on their terms as elephants. 
you know, they're always going to be broken, these elephants. They're going to be captive because of, of what it took to, to break them, to turn them into service elephants. But tourists are now more savvy than ever about what it takes to make an elephant captive, and they want to be with an elephant as an elephant. Mm. That, yeah. that brings me on a little bit to one of the questions that I wanted to ask, which was... Um, yeah. Lex obviously doing incredible work rescuing these elephants and taking them taking them from these horrible situations into a sanctuary. Um, but um, it sounds like the scale of the demand from several different industries for taking these elef- elephants from the wild into captivity is much, much bigger than Lex is able to tackle on her own. So what what are the ways in which we or the maybe the governments of these countries can really begin to address that that large-scale demand for elephants that's one of the big big drivers for for their decline i'm sorry i'm not understanding can one more in terms of tourism or in terms of oh so you so you said that there's there's for example the logging industry or these these camps like this gentleman was running where there's this industrial scale demand for taking asian elephants from the wild into captivity and lex work is obviously managing to save individual elephants and take them into a into a sanctuary situation but lex alone is never going to be able to rescue all of them so what's what is it that we need to do, do you think, in order to um, to tackle that large-scale demand for elephants and bring an end to that demand, that need to take elephants from the wild into captivity? I understand. Um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of this question in relation to the intricacies of it is is possibly something Lec could, could handle with a lot more proficiency than I can. Mm. Um, I did when she was in, in the United States speaking a couple of weeks ago, um, people asked in regards to the government or, or just everyday citizens, what can we do? And she said, she said it really does start with supply and demand. Mm-hmm. It really does start with, with people becoming aware of what it takes to make an elephant suitable for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, briefly, if, if any of the listeners, your listeners don't know. And a lot of people don't. This is the footage that Lek has given to us in Love and Bananas. She's trusted us with this undercover footage, which she risked her life and has been risking her life for two decades to, to get this, this footage. But it's a process known as the Pajan, which is called the crush box. It has a different name in, in every country. But um, with the Pajan, a baby elephant is taken away from its mother and it's put in a box and tied up and it's beat straight for 24 hours for a week until the bond between the elephant and the baby is replaced. The baby and the mother is replaced by the fear of man and the fear of the bull hook. If it doesn't work in the first week, it's repeated again for a second week until it works. After that point, elephants are taken to a training camp where they're taught to give rides. They're taught by abuse to paint pictures. They're taught by abuse to log or play polo or soccer or stand on balls, or anything like that. When people see this footage and become aware of it, they don't, they don't want to ride an elephant. And honestly, when you know better, you do better. A lot of people just don't know this is what it takes to turn every single captive Asian elephant into a creature that is submissive enough to 
to, to perform, um, for entertainment. Um, because people are becoming aware, they're demanding more humane sanctuaries. Um, since, since we filmed, Lek has turned 31 camps into humane sanctuaries. Also, wow. Lek has a group of elephant ambassadors that have taken it upon themselves to write to individual travel agencies to educate them about elephant rides and to get them to stop offering elephant rides, which they do quite quickly when they know what it takes, and to offer humane animal experiences instead, um, if people are so inclined to, to do that. Um, so with Lek, she said, um, one of the elephant industries can be stopped uh, with education. Um, the trekking of, of things can be stopped when people become more and more aware. Mm. And she's hopeful of that. She's repeated to every guest that comes on the sanctuary and when she lectures, the key to saving this species is education. And her Facebook is a hub of that. And she, she really means it when she says it. And once that information is out, you can never, can never take it away. You can never put it back in. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think what you've described really, you know, that's that. I hope that answers your the question. And it, it absolutely answers the question. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, it's 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 getting at the heart of, alongside that rescuing individual elephants, which is so important. It's also beginning to where possible, where there's where there's consumer choice that can be influenced to start to there tackle the demands. And I think. I think what you've described and what, what the film clearly does is begins to open people's eyes to something that they maybe just weren't aware of. And I think it's very much in the in the trend of a lot of environmental documentaries. And I'd be interested in your reflection on this over the, over recent years, like The Cove, for example, or like Cowspiracy, which are, which are having huge impacts on industries where people didn't just necessarily weren't aware of of the impacts of those different industries, whether it's do, you know taking dolphins into captivity or whether it's whether it's animal agriculture in the case of cowspiracy so i think you know love and bananas seems to me very much uh, in the vein of those films as well of opening people's eyes to something they just weren't necessarily aware of in terms of this environmental problem well thank you so much i mean to be even mentioned in the same breath as as those other films those are those are giants and those we you know we we watched everything in in preparation um it's you know, a very dear f family friend to my parents, a woman named Gretchen Weiler, incredible animal activist and, and founder of the Genesis Awards. I believe she's the one who said every animal rights person or just animal lover has a fur coat in their jacket. I'm sorry, as a fur coat in their closet. Mm. When you know better, you do better. And even, you know, it's people feel guilty, but it's not a matter of, of guilty. It's just a matter of not knowing. And even with Lech, Lek has said so often, she says, a lot of animal rights or activist people hate humans. <laughs> and she says, you, you can't because the trekking camp owners, like we feature in Love and Bananas, don't know a different way. He's, he's done this for generation upon generation upon generation. They've done this. And it's, it's, not, it's not the instance where, you know, if Lek spoke to me quite, quite bluntly and put it in perspective, it's at least from an American point of view, it's not like in America where you can wake up one day and say, oh, I'm, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to I do something different. 
that doesn't happen in, in Thailand. You know, mm. he, he's done that for centuries and his camp is surrounded by other trekking camps. So to do something different is a very big, big deal. And he was incredibly brave to have done that. And, um, his, his camp is now more successful than ever, uh, financially as a humane sanctuary. And a lot of people have followed his, have followed his lead. Yeah, but it's it was yeah. clearly from what the the kind of story you described before, where you, you took him out and his elephants out on an unchained walk in the forest, that created a a really powerful emotional connection for him that was able to open his eyes as well to a different possibility. Um, I, exactly, I, all luck. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I want to throw a slightly left field question at you, Please. which which is about um, emotion in a way. So mm. some of your most prominent roles in your acting career um, have been in have been in horror films and I wondered if there was anything that you brought from the horror genre maybe to do with the tension between fear and hope so in 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 some of these conservation films you know you're showing people the ugly truth and then you're you're talking about the way out of that did you bring anything from the horror genre in terms of the narrative to to this film I'm I'm so touched that you asked that question really first of all just thank you um I, I would like I would like to say that I did. I, I learned a lot making horror films and genre films, and I learned when the audience doesn't look, um, when they cover their ears and close their eyes, and how how through the film and through the edit and, and watching watching directors work, how they how they temper that fear and hope and, and release mixed with you know fear and release, fear and release, fear and release um, of of manipulating an audience in that way and in structuring love and bananas and, and actually watching a ton of animal films in preparation, there would be a lot of graphic content and it, mm. it would be so much sometimes that you just shut down and you leave the film filled with so much rage. You don't know what to do. Or a lot of the times in films, I'd get to like 88 minutes of a 90 minute documentary and they'd say, we left with more questions than when we, be when we began. Mm. And I just would be flung into a rage myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I've watched those films and, as well. <laughs> I was like, and then, you know, and I see Lech and her work and these Asian elephants and I'm like, there's no time for questions. Um, <laughs> I'm going crazy over here because I have no patience. Um, no. Um, and, uh, uh, in, in structuring Love and Bananas, we wanted to make, we really, we, when I went on that first trip, that's when we left with more questions than when we began. That's when we stalled out. Um, when we were regrouping for the actual film, we wanted to give some kind of solution. We wanted to put power in people's hands and we wanted the film to be really, really suitable for a younger audience. Uh, we didn't want people to be scared of watching the film as well, because in order for them to get a solution, they can't be constantly going to cover their eyes or plug their ears when they see a bit of content or are blitzed by a noise that's going to stay with them for the rest of their life. Mm. So in structuring it, we made sure to take the footage like trusted us with and really temper it to just put, just put enough to contextualize what it is these elephants are facing with the crush box, what happens with it, and then bam, we're off on an elephant rescue. We're off on this fast-paced journey with Lech Chilert where there are no sit-down interviews, we're on our feet, it has a very verite feel um, because we wanted to take audience and, audiences and put them right there. And 
we wanted them to feel safe enough to take in a message, you know, to, to take in something, not, um, not to be, not to be hiding in fear through the whole film. That's really, really interesting. I mean, I, I kind of <laughs> imagined when I thought of that question that you might say something like that, but, uh, yeah, to oh. hear that is, um, is really fascinating. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Cool. So I've, just, means a lot. I've, yeah, I've I, just got, uh, I've just got a couple of questions left. Um, so I'm good, to, I'm good to go. My, I, I'm cleared. So yeah. Good, 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 good. Um, well then feel free to, to take your time over these, particularly maybe the next one. Um, so I was wondering if you, and this is slightly tricky, I realize if you could tell me about one of the most memorable or special moments you had interacting with, with the elephants and maybe maybe it's the moment um when you and Lek are sitting on the floor looking up at this group of sort of four or five elephants who are around you although i realize that you've probably described that one in several interviews that you've given already because i've seen you do it or maybe maybe oh. it's a different moment <laughs> you know no i mean you nailed it it's it's that moment um i uh i'm just so happy one of those elephants didn't pee on me i would have drowned <laughs> <laughs> well, I always tell people that one of my proudest moments in life is being peed on by a baby orangutan, but it's less risky when that happens, I suppose. <laughs> oh, that's stunning. Um, yeah, it, uh, that, uh, you know, there are, there are ground rules at Elephant Nature Park, and these are, you know, these are wild animals. There's no such mm. thing as a domesticated elephant. So, you know, you, you're, you're warned to very, to very much keep your space give, give certain elephants that are, that are, have suffered more abuse, their space and keep your space, um, on the sanctuary. Uh, but because I was with Lek, who is their mom, I was allowed, I was allowed the best seat in the house. And when Lek comes back from a rescue, she sits down and there's one elephant who's, who's really like her daughter, an elephant named Fame. And she sits down and, and wherever, Fame is on the sanctuary. She knows Lek is there and she rushes, literally like hustles on over to her with the rest of her herd. And I was sitting right next to Lek and Fame began to eat peanuts that Lek brought as an offering. And then the whole herd joined Fame. And I did not know it until I actually saw the footage, really what was happening. But there, I was surrounded by eight elephants eating a pile of peanuts and zucchinis that had been presented as an offering in the grass. And it was so overwhelming to look up and literally to see the, un the, the, from underneath an elephant, like their neck and their ears flapping and the trunk. And, uh, it, it, you know, their knees were right behind me. And as they're kind of just adjusting their steps, you know, and just, just fidgeting as they're eating, like when, when a kneecap, when an elephant kneecap touches you, it's like whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was, it was super hectic under there. And it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. And, um, that's a really good kind of insight into how you felt in that moment. How how did it feel when you came away from um, from Cambodia, having got all the footage and knowing that you had everything you needed to to make the film, and having experienced all that with the elephants and with Lek as well? What were your emotions coming back to the U.S. after all of that? Uh, it was it was very. Um, 
it was very intense coming back to to the U.S. Sometimes it was, um, and and uh, to see the amount of raw passion and determination and this indomitable spirit that is Lech Tyler working on the front lines every day, uh, to be around that and to be allowed to walk in her shadow and film and take the audience every step with her. Um, it, it it was a little bit of an adjustment coming coming back here because it was so, so powerful and such an honor and so humbling to be around somebody that strong mm-hmm. and yet that um, selfless and and strong in the sense of no no ego, not trying to prove anything, just somebody that that is one hundred percent. Um, it, it was particularly difficult to, I mean, difficult for me, it was, you know, difficult for me is 1% of how difficult it is, um, to the creatures that have endured this. But in, in watching the footage like gave us of, of, you know, that she risked her life to get, that she's been under threat and death threats and had assassination attempts on her life to get Mm. of, of the elephants that had been crushed through the crush box or through training camps. And, and it's the raw footage that on, on an iPad or on a handheld camera. So there's, it's has that rawness that just, just, just shoots through you viscerally and the sound that accompanies it of, of, of the sound the elephants make during this process is, is, I mean, it's footage. I will, I will never be able to get out of my ears um, or my head or my heart or my soul. Um, and I, I almost really feel actually horrible for saying it was difficult for me. It wasn't, it was not difficult for me. What it, it was difficult for the animals and it was difficult for lack, but it, 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 in taking in that footage and working with John McCarthy, who brilliantly edited the film, um, to go through that footage, it, it made it very difficult to sometimes have conversations with people where, you just you just couldn't because or there had to be a break from conversations at time you know just on on the day to day things because of of the the cruelty that's happening uh, to these animals and and the f- daily battle that that Lek is 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 waging with such hope and determination and spirit um, every day in Southeast Asia to to fight to give these creatures a human voice. Um, Sorry, I don't necessarily kind of go on a on a outpouring like that, but um, not a lot of people ask that, and um, it just I will never get the the sounds or the the images out of my out of my head or heart, and um, it's really a tribute to to the work Lek does and and the situation she puts herself in to tell to tell the truth. She's devoted her life to telling the truth and to helping this species, and it's. It's uh, it's been a privilege to have been able to be trusted with that footage and share it. Mm. Yeah. That, no, that was really nicely put. That was that was a really great insight. Okay, just um, just a couple of wrap up questions then. Um, yes. So uh, the film is the film started showing on the twenty second of April and it's now screening around the US. And my, if if my understanding's right, there's also. You're also fundraising alongside that for Asian elephants, and that's going pretty well so far. Yes, we fundraised um, a, an incredible company called The Greater Good. 
has come on board as a partner of the film, and they actually launched the Love and Bananas Fund, inspired by the film. And uh, we, they, the goal was to fundraise to rescue and release an elephant called Silivai in Laos. And in the first, they were they were targeting for forty thousand dollars. And in the first three days, they made that uh, they made that fundraise amount. Um, so they they continue to to keep to keep it open uh, because the greater good makes a promise. 100% of donations go to the cause and go to elephants for, well, for this particular cause for elephants in Southeast Asia. So I think as of right now, we're up to close to 75,000 in, in the nine days we fundraised. Wow. Yeah. It, it's been incredible. And the greater good even takes care of like bank transactions, which, you know, in some cases is a bunch of bananas for elephants. So it really matters. It adds yeah. up. <laughs> so people can still contribute to that at the moment. Um, yes. And... It's the love and bananas fund.org. We're going to be permanently up on the greater good. So yes. Great. And the other question that I have, um, which is quite a self-interested one is um, mm -hmm. whether it's screenings or streaming or on DVD, when and where might European or UK audiences be able to see the film? Yes, we're working right now uh, for that. Um, we have an international sales agent working to get it in the UK. And fortunately, we've had tons of interest in bringing it to the UK. So we're working on that right now. Um, it's the, uh, news soon, but hopefully it will be available on iTunes within the next couple months, if not, if not in theaters in the UK. Yeah. Cool. Well, that would be really exciting. And if there's anything yes. I can do to connect with UK conservation organizations, then, you know, let me know. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank uh, you so much. I know a few people. Um, yeah. And so just as a final question, um, which I often ask to people, and I, it's a question that I've stolen, stolen from someone else, is if, if you had a billboard, and I suppose you're probably thinking about billboards quite a lot at the moment, and you could put a quote on it, and maybe it's a quote by someone else, or maybe it's a quote from yourself um that could reach millions of people what would it say mm. oh oh my god like a million thoughts we, ha we actually have it i'm so I feel bad we have it for an elephant movie we should be thinking about billboards <laughs> we should be keeping it big um i mean well for love and bananas, I'd put let elephants be elephants. Mm. Um, Lex says that all the time. Let elephants be elephants. Um, if it was a love and bananas focused billboard, uh, a lot of the time though, I I think it's um, it's so easy to be paralyzed by a cause or an issue, and my goal would be to encourage people to not to encourage people to know that by just doing one thing, it is enough. When you're hit with something, your moral compass tells you, you know, should I do something or should I not? And if people can find it in themselves to do one thing to make a difference, especially for a species, you know, that's in such peril like this, it, it the impact is tremendous. So I'd love to list my favorite quote on a billboard, which is from Mary Oliver. Mm. Uh, Tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. That. Oh, I love that. that I love Mary Oliver, but that's not a quote yeah. that I've heard. 
It's my favourite. <laughs> that's okay. That's Mary Oliver is definitely a good note to wrap up on. That's great. Cool. Okay, cool. Ashley, thank you so much. That was such a beautiful and amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you for your questions. It was. It was. This was really a pleasure. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation, and you can find more of them at wildvoicesproject.org, on Twitter at wildvoicesproj, or by subscribing to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks very much, and until next time.